You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for those of you that are still with us online. We are here for you, and we are here to help Jesus be exalted and help people find and follow Jesus. And in this sermon series that we started in uh, the beginning of the month, the beginning of September, it's uh, the beginning of our new annual theme, talking about the kingdom of God. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a mouthful. When we allow that to sink in, it changes our whole perspective about what the kingdom is all about. It's about God's kingdom and not our kingdom, correct? Would you agree with that? Jesus told his listeners, don't worry like the unbelievers do about all the little things, what you eat, what you drink, what, how long this is going to last, and all the stuff that we have to worry about these days. And there is a lot there out there. I understand that. But Jesus said, God knows what you need. Rather, he said, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness above all other things, and those things will take care of themselves. In other words, Jesus says, get first things first. And so if we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God, this was the message of Jesus. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. That was Jesus's primary message. It's not someday if you're good enough, when you die, you go to heaven and you'll be in the kingdom. He was saying, here we need to begin to experience heaven on earth. And we have been given the commission by Jesus Christ to help promote and live in the rule and the reign of Jesus as our Lord and in our relationships with one another. That's how the kingdom grows. But my question is, why should I put God's kingdom above everything else? Because, you know, I thought that God exists for me to get my kingdom expanded. I thought he was there to make me rich. I thought he was there to answer all my prayers. I thought he was there to help me have a life that's easy and comfortable and give me everything that I pray for and ask for. Isn't that what Christianity is all about? And you know I'm being cynical there because it's not. And yet for many believers, the only time they go to Jesus is when they ask something from him, when they need something from him, when it's all about me and how I can get what I want. And Jesus said, don't pray for your kingdom to be expanded. Pray for God's kingdom to come. Let it be about how I can be engaged in something bigger than myself. Do I need to do this? Do I need to seek the kingdom of heaven above all else? Or I'm going to go to hell if I don't? Is this a a, a threat for me to do that? Is Is it so I can get more jewels in my crown when I get to heaven? Maybe that's what it is. Maybe I should do this now so that when I get to heaven, I have more jewels in my crown in heaven. My rewards will be greater. Today I want to talk about the crown jewels of the kingdom of God. What are the crown jewels of the kingdom of God? You know, one of the most widely viewed pieces of the Queen of England's crown jewels is St. Edward's crown. It has 444 stones in it, both precious and semi-precious, and nearly five pounds of gold. Imagine putting that on your head. In fact, I think when she was coronated, she had it on for about five minutes, but she couldn't turn down because it would fall off. She couldn't hold it up. It was so heavy. Today, um, those five pounds of gold, just the gold itself, 
is worth more than $100,000, while the whole collection of stones and precious jewels and metal are likely to be valued at $39 million. Now, that's not all of the crown jewels. There's also what is called the jeweled sword of offering that's worth $660 million. It has all kinds of jewels in it and other crown jewels. In fact, they are considered to be priceless because they've never been appraised. But those who estimate the value, the total value of the crown jewels of the Queen of England estimate it to be worth $4 billion. So, Here's the question. What was the price that was paid for the Queen of England to have $4 billion worth of precious jewels and metals? Wars have been fought. Countries have been conquered. An empire was built to establish the queen, the king back then, and to protect the crown. In fact, I would say that every empire, every kingdom has its own version of crown jewels. Several years ago, Teresa and I were able to go to the Vatican. And if you've ever gone to the Vatican, you've seen a lot of wealth, a lot of crown jewels. The Roman Empire was its own kingdom. It was an empire. And the popes, back in the medieval days especially, were just like every other king, and they gathered wealth. And if you went to the the Vatican Museum, you would see more there than you could ever imagine. Every kingdom, you go to these kingdoms, you visit the palaces, the castles, you see the wealth fought. How did they get this? Wars were fought. Things, kingdoms were conquered. Countries were conquered so that people could gather all of this wealth. So my question is, in the kingdom of God, what are the crown jewels? I think that's a good question to ask. What are the crown jewels? Today's text gets to that. If you have your text with me, we're in Matthew. We've been in Matthew 13, all of these parables that we've talked about over the past several weeks. From Matthew chapter 13, they have a common theme. Today, we're going to look at two twin parables. Jesus spoke, verses 44 to 46. And it talks about how the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had to buy it. Jesus Today, my prayer is that you would open our minds and help us to fully comprehend the value that you place on your treasure and helps to comprehend what that treasure is. For our sake, in Jesus' name, amen. In my research for this uh, message, I read a story back in 2013 there was a couple out in the Saddle Ridge Horde. It's called the Saddle Ridge Horde. You can look it up if you want, but don't do it right now. This company owned property out in Northern California. And one day they were out walking on a trail on their property. And they noticed this rusty can, slightly uncovered, 
next to their trail. And they stopped and they looked at it and they started to uncover this. And then they went to pick it up and it was incredibly heavy as if it was holding lead. And so they picked it up and this rusted, deformed can that, that they found, they thought was filled with iron or lead, but it was so heavy, they took it back to their house. And when they cracked the lid of it open, it revealed it was full of glistening gold coins. Not the sort of thing you stumble on when you're walking around your backyard, right? After they found that one, they went back to the site to dig around and they found more cans filled with, with gold coins. Eventually, they found a total of eight cans. And after they discovered it, they said that uh, that had 1,411 gold coins with a face value. The face value of the coins was $27,000. But the actual value of the gold has been estimated to be over $10 million. Apparently buried there years earlier, back during the gold rush days, somebody got that, they hid it, they figured someday they would come back to get it. Apparently they didn't. And these people who owned that property, it was all theirs. It's all theirs. So imagine one day you're just hiking on these people's property and you find the coins. You take them home. You know it's their property because it's their treasure because it's their property. But imagine, hmm, I think I might want to buy that property. And you, and you liquidated all your assets and you made an offer to this family and they said, wow, we'll never get this amount for our property. Sure, we'll sell it to you. This is exactly the story of the buried treasure of what happened. This, this person, imagine the emotion of this guy, maybe he was plowing the field, he's working the field, and he's following this ox, and he's turning the ground over, and it's just hot and monotonous, and he's done this many times, and he's sweating, and his muscles are aching, and he, he feels this wood plow hit something hard, and he thinks, oh, another rock. Gets down off of whatever he's carrying, or he's walking behind, pulling, holding the plow behind the ox, and he gets down, and he shovels, comes out and shovels some dirt off of it and he senses the corner of something. It's not a rock. Digs a little more and he realizes somebody buried something here and he saw that it was a buried treasure. And this is exactly, can you imagine how his heart starts to beat? He finds this thing in the field and the law of the land in those days was finders, keepers. And so he decided this land, I think if I just sold everything I had, I could buy this little acre of land and I could farm it. And so he does. He sells everything he has because he sees the treasure buried there, and he's able to get it for himself. Likewise, the, the merchant who is a jeweler, who is used to dealing with fine jewels, and he has been trading and bargaining for jewels his whole life and getting them and, and always trading up for the next one and selling high and buying low, and you know how he is. He's great at this, and then he finds Cleopatra's pearl or whatever the most precious pearl is that's out there. And he says, I will sell everything I have just to have this one. Imagine there's no cost too much for me to be able to have this pearl. 
And so my question for us today is, what do these parables mean? What is Jesus trying to communicate to his hearers? And we're left to ponder the meaning of these parables, these parables of the kingdom. And each one of them begins with, so the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. And if you go back at the beginning of the chapter, you see that there are other parables that start like that. There's the parable of the sower and the weeds that Jay talked about several weeks ago. And it begins with a farmer went out to sow his seed. So let me ask you the question, in that parable, who is the farmer? Who is, who is this, what is the seed? If the seed is the gospel of Jesus Christ, who in that parable is the subject, the person who's scattering the seed? That's God scattering the seeds. And, a, and another, the next one down, he talks about the parable of the nets, where they gather the nets and they separate the good from the bad. Who is the one that separates the good from the bad? Who's gathering the nets? It's God. Now see, so many times when I've read these parables, I think, oh, this is about how much the kingdom of heaven is worth to us. That, that, that the kingdom of heaven is the treasure. That, that it's about the treasure, and that's the heaven. And we should be able to sell everything we have to get the kingdom of heaven. And whatever it costs us to get the kingdom of heaven, we should be willing to pay whatever we can pay to be able to acquire God's kingdom because that's how valuable God's kingdom is. That's how I've always interpreted it. But in all of these other parables, the subject of the parable is God. So I submit to you that in these two parables, the person plowing the ground and finding the treasure is not you and me, it's God. The merchant who's trading the pearls in this parable is not us trying to find what's more precious than anything else. It's God who is trying to find the most precious pearl that he could find. And he's willing to do everything possible to find that pearl. This, folks, changes the meaning profoundly in what I had originally imagined it to be. These parables of the treasure and the pearl of great price are all about God. They are about the passion and the treasure of God. They are about the things that God values above all else. God is the plowman. God is the merchant. So the question then becomes is what is the treasure and what is the pearl? And what God's trying to tell his followers is this. The treasure that God is willing to sell out everything for is you and you and you and me. We are God's treasured possession. But I don't believe you. Surely you're not saying that I'm more important to God. Are you really saying that? And my answer is yes, yes. That's exactly what I am saying. You don't believe that God's willing to do anything to purchase you? Well, that's exactly why we partake of communion at the end of this message, because that's the meaning of Calvary. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith, who for what? The joy set before him. What's the joy set before Jesus? Why did Jesus go to the cross? For us to be able to be made right with God, for us to be brought back to God. Because it says that 
scorning and shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Two simple but profound takeaways from this parable is this. Number one, you, and I know, I know. You, you'll say, but I can't be me. You are God's most treasured possession. How does that make you feel? <laughs> say that to yourself. I am God's most treasured possession. Not, please, I don't, I don't want you to get a big head, but I want you to feel good. Does that make sense? Because you're no better than the person next to you. You don't deserve it any more than the person that is your neighbor. In fact, I would dare say to you, you don't deserve it any more than your worst enemy. Because in God's eyes, they are God's treasured possession too. And he died as much for them as he gave his son, as much for them as he gave his son for you and me. I don't know about you, but that, that's profound. Scripture says it. Hebrew scriptures, Christian scriptures, all say the same thing. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, it says in Deuteronomy. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his chosen people, his treasured possession. Malachi says, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his only son who serves him. Whoever touches you, Zechariah says, touches the apple of his eye. Do you get that? The most precious thing to God is his children, and he's willing to pay whatever it takes for you. Paul wrote that we are God's masterpiece in the Vatican. You see the works of Michelangelo. You see the works of the great artists. The masterpieces there. And we are that masterpiece. In fact, if you doubt me, in Luke chapter 15, he tells these parables back to back. The parable of the lost sheep. There are 100 sheep. One goes astray. What does, the, what does the shepherd do? He leaves all of them to seek out that one little sheep. And he rejoices, throws a huge party when it returns home. A woman <coughs> loses her coin. She cleans the house completely, wipes it perfectly clean because it's so valuable to her. And when she finds it, she has a great celebration, a great party. There's a father that has sons. One goes astray. And what does he do? He longs every day for that son to return home. And when that son returns home, he runs to that son, takes his coat off, throws it around him, and throws the biggest party you'd ever see. And then the older son said, well, what about me? And that's the Christians out there who think we're better than other people that aren't, quote, as good as us. And the problem is that if we don't understand that, we don't get the heart of Jesus, that he loves those people that you don't think have it all together, that see it from a different perspective than you as much as he loves you. But you right now are God's most treasured possession. We are God's most treasured possession. Notice the pearl. How are pearls made? Oysters. Something invades their space. It's an irritant. It's a pain. A grain of sand gets within the oyster and it injures that oyster. And that oyster begins to cover that injury with mother of pearl, layer upon layer until the pearl is smooth and finished. 
The wonder of a pearl is it begins with a wound. It begins with a wound. Scripture says you were bought at a price. Jesus said God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Isaiah said that he was despised and rejected. He was a man of suffering. He was familiar with pain. Surely he took up our pain. He bore our suffering. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Folks, are you grasping the depth of this? Are you grasping the power of this? The love of God is so profound that we choose to not believe it and say, well, I have to do something to earn it. I have to do something in myself to make this happen. You see, God knows all your pains and all your hurts. And that's the profound truth about the pearl here. God is not unfamiliar with suffering. And so you, you are God's most treasured possession. But here's the thing. When you grasp that the one who knows you best, what? Loves you most. That makes you want that more than anything else. You see, our love for God is always a response to God's love for us. We love him because God first loved us. That's the scripture. Whoever is forgiven much, whoever loves much, who's ever forgiven little, loves little. And once, once his disciples could grasp that they were that much of a treasure to God, because in their minds, like many of our minds, that God is there to punish us when we get out of line. He's the, the, the divine policeman that God will reward you for being good. It just changed their whole thing. You, got, you mean God loves me now, period? Then I want that love. I want that more than anything else. And in other words, the kingdom of God has to enter us. We have to grasp that. We have to understand that the kingdom of God enters us before we can then enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's receiving the love of God, receiving that we are the treasure of God, divinely loved. The sacrifice of all sacrifices was paid for you individually. Yes, God so loved the world, but God loved you. God loved me. And that, for me, is the most precious love that I could ever ask for. It will never disappoint. It will never turn away. It is faithful forever. It won't betray me. It won't reject me. It is a love that is there that I can never fully grasp because I am that treasure to God. I am that pearl to God. And God said that he will give everything for me. And if he's going to do that for me, I will gladly yield everything for him. Let it in, Jesus. Let your love in. Come on, Jesus. Fill me. Fill me. Fill me. Do you sense that? How many of you sense you could, you could use some of that love? 
You could, you could use that love right now. Let the love of God drive out the hatred. Let the love of God drive out the fear. Let the love of God drive out the suspicion. Let the love of God drive out the frustration. Let the love of God drive out everything it is that's, that's consuming your mind right now. Because if you seek first his kingdom, you seek first that love, it is yours. Everything else is minor compared to that. And all the things that we get so upset about are so stinking trivial compared to the overwhelming love of God in our life. And folks, if God loves us that much, can we not love other people a little bit more? I can read your lips. Maybe not. <laughs> Nod your head at least. Yeah, there you go. Folks, we love because he first loved us. The gospel is not giving up everything in order to win God's love and grace. That's backwards. We cannot purchase the kingdom of God by anything that we can do. That's not the message of these parables. It is God is realizing that God has done everything for you. And then and only then can we yield and abandon ourselves to that kind of love. Don't you want to love the one that loves you most? Don't you want to love the one that knows all your stinking flaws, all your, all your hidden thoughts, all your pains, all your guilt, all your shame? Don't you want to love the one that knows everything about you and gave his life for you? An old hymn, love so amazing, love so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. I want to pray, and I'm going to invite Donnie to come. We're going to partake of communion. If you have your elements at home, if you have your elements here, he's going to walk us through that. But uh, let's, uh, let's pray. I think we have a song before that. So if the band could come up while I pray, that'd be great. Let's pray. Let's prepare our hearts and realize as we hold these elements, what they mean. This is the price that was paid because you are treasured by God. You are the treasure. You are the pearl. God, may we treasure the one who treasures us. May we love the one who loved us first. God, I pray if anyone is, 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 for anyone who is hearing my voice right now, who's here or seeing or participating virtually, God, I pray right now that they hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, not my voice, and that the voice of the Holy Spirit will be telling them that it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, how you feel, what you're going through right now, I know your situation. I know your frustration. I know your hurt. I know your pain. And I love you. And I will give my life. I have given my only begotten son for you. Would you just receive that love right now? Would you just accept that love? Would it just wash over you right now? Will it just fill you up from the inside out and the outside in? May you be drowning in the love of God even right now.
as we ponder these elements. God, you're the king and we are your crown jewels that you have gone to the cross to purchase. And we gladly, we lay our crowns down for you, Jesus. We cast our crowns down for you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.